This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, and we acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Well may we say, God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days Hello and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 102 for Friday, 16th of August 2019. I'm Jeremy Sear, and in this podcast we discuss what's just been happening to the country, what's likely to happen, and hopefully what we can do about it. I'm going to do this week's by myself because uh, we need to get an episode out, uh, and we need to do one sooner than I can organise an additional host or hosts. So, let's get straight on with it. So the first thing that's happened this week is the Pacific Islands Forum, in which the smaller island nations of the Pacific are trying to get the world, but uh, in terms of the region, Australia, to agree to measures to try and limit coal use and so forth, uh, to try and limit the uh, climate change to 1.5 degrees above uh, pre-industrial levels. Australia's basically said, go get staffed. We've insisted on the communique referring to climate change reality instead of the climate change crisis. We've refused to agree to anything uh, which would suggest that we're going to um, not build new uh, coal power plants. The UN Secretary-General called for no new coal and an end to fossil fuel subsidies. The other nations wanted the communicator to endorse that call. Um, Australia has insisted that instead we're going to just reflect on it. Anyway, that's Australia. Uh, and that prompted the New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern to make the following remarks. Every single little bit matters. And so that is why New Zealand has joined that international call. It is why we speak, I believe, strongly on the international stage around these issues, but ultimately we all have to take responsibility ourselves. My reference was to the fact that Australia has to answer to the Pacific. That is a matter for them. Now, I grabbed that little bit of audio from Channel 9 and check out the incredibly dickish remark at the end that they put in. Well, given it's the Australian people, Scott Morrison answers to first and foremost. The election result means Georgie Miss Ardern shouldn't hold her breath for much change at all. Nice. Yeah, he got a one-seat majority from a minority of the vote. I'm not sure that that means that Scott Morrison has any great moral authority on the question. And I love the idea that New Zealand can't force him to change his mind, so I guess it's just okay then. International diplomacy is completely pointless and nobody should ever try to persuade a country to do something other than what they want to do. Oh, well, cool. Good work, Channel 9. Anyway, that was apparently red rag to a bull and has led to the following hideous audio from... Uh, Sydney, absolute monster of Alan Jones. Now, I am going to play audio from Alan Jones, but what I'm going to do is a timestamp uh, just beforehand and a timestamp just after so that you can skip it if you really don't want to hear his um, infuriating voice. And uh, you can just try and guess what he said from how I respond to it. Peter, hello. Peter. Hey, there you go, Sam. Oh, Peter. Uh, what are you? What's up, mate? Oh, Peter Beatty. You're Peter. Drop your yeah. name. Yeah, mate, yeah, I should change it. I think him and Jacinda are doing his brother and sister, aren't they? They, they come across as clowns to me. Clowns, absolutely. She's a clown, Jacinda Ardern, a complete clown. 
Yeah, sorry, I thought I'd play you the, the Drongo call at the beginning that leads into this rant, and you can hear him just get cut off in a second as well. Like, the guy doesn't get to say anything other than his stupid intro. It's just enough to prompt Jones into this rant. Here she is preaching, Hi. preaching on global warming and saying that we've got to do something about climate change, and I made the point very validly. Here is Jacinda Ardern. If you want to talk about the figures, if you want to talk about carbon dioxide, which I don't, nothing wrong with it, she talks about carbon. She doesn't know the difference between carbon and carbon dioxide. Yeah, uh, just quickly pointing out, it's not just carbon dioxide, it's carbon compounds. There are various greenhouse gases. Carbon dioxide is obviously the main one, but there are others. And for Jones to be pretending that... I mean, it's just... Jones lecturing people on the sides of this is ludicrous. Just the sneer in his voice. Anyway, anyway, we'll continue. But the fact is, New Zealand's carbon dioxide has grown by 10.8% per capita, 10.8% since 1990, 10.8%. Ours has grown by 1.8%. So hang on. Why 1990? Like, Jacinda Ardern's not been Prime Minister of New Zealand for very long, so I'm not quite sure why since 1990 is relevant. And it's a very specific year. Like, what happened in 1990? Why is that the year that he's picking? Well, uh, the reason he's picking 1990 is that it was a year with a significant amount of land clearing in Queensland. And it's the same thing they do with the uh, temperatures not rising since 1988 thing. Like, they, they pick a high point. So if you've got a graph that's sort of, you know, squiggling upwards, they pick one that's our high point and then until the graph overcomes that that even though the trend is still continuing in one direction then they're like no no it's actually dropped it's really misleading and the tell the tell anytime somebody throws bullshit like this up is that there will be a specific year they pick and they won't have any explanation for why that is now if you're asking the scientists who are pointing out that the world's temperatures are increasing first of all they'll show you you know more than just like one data point they'll show you continual data points to you know, you've seen also that graph of the the spiral of um, from where, where the months of the year are around the dial, around the circle, and then so each circle is a year, and you can just see from 1850 it sort of spirals outwards and outwards and outwards, and it's terrifying. The climate scientists pick years, you know, before the Industrial Revolution or, or, they, or periods where it's a significantly long enough period that you can see that there is this ongoing change. But 1990, just going, hey, uh, we've picked a year where there is this particularly high uh, land clearing uh, rate in Queensland to give you a high number so that it's easier to have a drop. That is so shonky. And you tell that somebody's trying to pull a fast one. Whenever they pick a specific year like that for no reason, they don't identify why 1990. Anyway, all of Alan Jones' figures like that, they're all misleading or, or outright lies. Anyway, so here's where Jones just goes absolutely feral. I mean, he's already been calling the New Zealand Prime Minister a clown, but here he gets, goes just absolutely feral. I just wonder whether Scott Morrison's going to be fully briefed to shove a sock down the throat. Right. Sorry, did he just say what I think he said? I just wonder whether Scott Morrison's going to be fully briefed to shove a sock down the throat. Fully briefed, eh? In his head, it's like this collection of grown-up men who can work together and make sure the Prime Minister knows that uh, they should put that impudent woman back in her place. God, it's just every part of that is so weird and feral and his pathetic rewriting of it the next day which we'll hear in a minute doesn't really make that much better i mean she is a joke this woman an absolute and utter lightweight now if you want wind and solar well when it comes to wind and solar she's in love with them we get 12.1 percent of our energy from wind and solar new zealand 0.93 of a percent no no that's uh, apparently nonsense uh new zealand generated 82 percent 
of its electricity from renewable sources in 2017. And again, I, I love how Alan Jones, you actually, anytime you hear Alan Jones, he'll, he'll do this. He throws out these, what, what seem to be hard figures, but he never cites what that's from. And it's, they're always dodgy as hell if you look into them for more than a second. Um, but he's, I mean, he's based on, the idea is you throw it all out and the audience laps it up and they just get in their head, oh, no, the figures support Alan, what Alan was saying. Um, and, you know, maybe maybe one or two are wrong, but, you know, the vast volume of them indicates that he's, he knows what he's talking about, which, of course, is nonsense. I mean, it's, it is an absolute joke. You've got to listen to these people. Then you've got this Pacific Island mob in Tuvalu saying, oh, well, Scott Morrison's got to ban coal. Now, China are over there wanting to fund everything they want. Well, are they going to tell China to ban coal? China are going to construct another 290 gigawatts of capacity of coal-fired power station this year. 290 gigawatts. Liddell, 1.6 gigawatts. That's how big it is. That's how big the growth of coal-fired power in China. 290 gigawatts this year. So the call to Scott Morrison by this fool who's the Prime Minister of Tuvalu that we have to ban coal-fired power. We'll let him tell China the same thing. I bet that the Pacific nations do, in fact, try and put pressure on China uh, insofar as they can to reduce its emissions. But the problem is, China is very big and very powerful, uh, significantly more big and powerful than Australia, and uh, they don't they can't probably put that pressure on China by themselves. They don't have sufficient leverage to do it. And the only way that China will ever uh, rein back its emissions is for the rest of the world to be demonstrating that we're taking it seriously and not producing more per capita than the Chinese are. This is the whole fundamental dishonesty of the, hey, Australia produces only you know, one point something percent of the world's uh, carbon emissions. Well, yeah, but we're a tiny fraction of the world's population, much less than that. We punch way above our weight per person. And as, well, as long as we're doing that, we can't put any pressure on other nations to do any better. It's like we, it is true that Australia by itself is not enough to fix the problem. But we should be part of the solution. We should be uh, doing our part and then using the fact that we're doing our part to put pressure on other nations. But of course, we're not. And we're not just not doing our own part. But we actually go out there and at forums like this, specifically try and throw a spanner in the works and stop there being any actual meaningful change. Like, Australia does more than just pollute above our weight. We argue for the fossil fuel industry above our weight and we do what we can to sabotage agreements that would be not in the commercial interest of the fossil fuel industry uh, at in these sorts of international gatherings, including um, at Paris, including at all the climate talks. Australia's in there advocating not for other countries to do more of their part, not saying, you know, we in Australia are going to do ours and, you know, you should, you should join us and we're all, we're all in this together. Australia's out there busy trying to sabotage it. Like, that's what we do. Anyway, so Jones got a bit of pushback for this rant. Primarily the point about Morrison being told and briefed to shove a sock down Jacinda Ardern's throat, which is obviously violence against women, and obviously that's the angle that's been taken, uh, ignoring all the rest of the revolting um, aspects of what he was saying. So you've had Morrison saying, the comments being relayed to me on what's been reported to me, I find that very disappointing, and of course that's way out of line. And then he can't help himself. I have two daughters, so you can expect that's how I would feel personally about it. I'll leave others to explain what they've said and how they've said it, said Morrison. So not, not disagreeing with the fundamental point that, uh, that Jones was making, but just being like, oh, no, I don't agree with the anti-women bit. And, and also, uh, and that's because I have daughters. If I didn't have daughters, I'd probably be fine with it. Like, what? 
And Turnbull came out and said, oh, Jones should apologise for his latest misogynistic rant. Anyway, the media taking that angle and ignoring the rest of it, which appears to be... I, it's getting to a point now where you've got to think it's deliberate. You've got to think that, that um, someone like Jones specifically captures his message with something provocative like that because it raises the impact of it. I mean, how many people are listening to his stupid show in Sydney? But now everybody's heard what he said. And they've heard his other remarks around it, which are the bullshit ones attacking New Zealand and and flat out lying about uh, New Zealand's um, efforts on on tackling climate change and basically saying uh, un- undermining the pressure that Ardern was putting on Australia to actually do our part. So he's succeeded in getting that one out there, and he's able to say disingenuous things like this. I said I note some concern about my comment yesterday regarding New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern and her remarks preaching about climate change. Of course, what I meant to say was that Scott Morrison should tell Miss Ardern to put a sock in it. There are many people who'd relish the opportunity, I said, to misinterpret things that I've said, as we have seen online. I would not wish any harm on her, but I made the point. I would not wish any harm on her, but... Yeah, a great word to follow up. I wouldn't wish any harm on her. But no, Jones resorts to violent imagery about women very quickly. Um, and if he doesn't mean it, then the fact that that's his first reflex uh, is something that, you know, if Jones wasn't actually a, a disturbing misogynist, is something that should probably concern him and maybe he should go and do something about that. But of course, <laughs> that's not really a thing that bothers him. And telling her to shove, put a sock in it isn't really vastly better. This was willful misinterpretation by of what I said to obviously distract from the point. Look, the bottom line is that the stuff that he's saying that we're trying to distract from are dumb lies. And I would like more of the media reporting to simply call them out on it, as well as calling out the um, you know, violent imagery of, of his words. Call out the lies. I mean, The Guardian did a fact check in their uh, story where they called out where it was bullshit. But... Very few of the other media outlets have. The ABC certainly doesn't. Like, if you go and look um, at any of the journalists covering the Jacinda Ardern, Alan Jones thing, look for the fact check. Where's the fact check? Where, where are Alan Jones' bullshit figures called out? They're not. Apart from that, that article on The Guardian, he gets a free pass. And until journalists actually do the work of checking, when, when someone like Jones, who is a notorious bullshitter, when he makes claims like this, it is really important in reporting it to report the actual facts about what he's claiming. And don't give him the chance to come back and be like, oh, they're just trying to distract from my facts. No, they're not. He actually goes on, uh, look, this, so this is just hammering home the idea that what he had said is fine and the only thing was that it, it sounded a little bit misogynist. And look, I'm not really, I'm not really a misogynist. He actually goes and does, uh, all of these unnamed women actually think I'm great. I'll play you the rest of it. And in fact, um, a female, several female journalists have written. One of them summed it up by saying Alan uh, nailed it. Uh, she showed compassion when there was a mass shooting in her country, but who wouldn't have? Any PM would have done the same. It doesn't make her a competent PM or an authority on anything. And I have to say that I have received a, and, uh, a text message from a very prominent Australian female political figure who says, Alan, don't worry, I've never met a man more supportive of women. This is about Ardern. It's her politics you're critiquing, not her bloody gender. Chin up. It's a good point. Yeah, look, I'm sure Alan Jones doesn't know some dickhead uh, right-wing women who'd, who'd say that. Who's, who's the, the politician? What, Bronwyn Bishop or somebody? Yeah, so, so what? Yes, I know you were attacking her politics. That's 
why it's not you weren't you weren't attacking her because she's a woman. You were attacking her because you were trying to demonise her and stop her from um, gaining any traction in prompting Australia to actually do the right thing in relation to climate change. But the point was that you resorted. Well, sorry, the point was that you were lying about what you were saying. The point was the viciousness with which you uh, attacked her. And yeah, the point. Which is the side point, which has become the main point, but um, which you're uh, the only point you're defending and pretending that the rest of them aren't actually critiques. But yes, you did resort to pretty violent misogynistic imagery really fast, as I said. And if that's something that you don't intend to do, then you know, uh, maybe maybe have a have a look at what the hell's going on in your brain. Maybe, it's not the first time. The stuff you said about Gillard, stuff you said about the Opera House director. You've done this before. If it were actually a thing that you were concerned about, presumably you could sit down and try and work out why it is that when talking about women who you want to attack politically, you resort to really disturbingly violent imagery really fast. Not a one-off. But then, Alan, kudos for what you've achieved, which is that, once again, we're talking about you, whether you're a misogynist, whether the things you said were hateful and problematic, whether you should be you know, up there on the radio being able to broadcast this kind of uh, vicious crap. And we're not talking about the story, which is that Australia is basically telling the Pacific Island nations to get stuffed because we just want to burn a whole lot of coal. And this is based on the delusion from people like you that climate change is, what did you call it, a hoax. We're still doing this. We're doing harm. This is the stuff that matters, that Australia is out there, that these vandals and clowns with their you know, one-seat majority on the basis of a minority of votes are out there causing real harm to the world and we're not even talking about that anymore. We're talking about you. Oh, look, and also before we drop it, look, why don't I talk about it? Some uh, another passing right-wing hack who's not really very important, but let's, let's be amused by the weird things he was saying on it. Everybody remember Alexander Down? If not, just uh, have a look at the... Honest Australian government ad uh, that the Juice Media does, and they did one on Timor Leste, which will sort of remind you of uh, the kind of stuff that Alexander Downer got up to when he was foreign minister. Anyway, uh, he tweeted yesterday, Sad to see hashtag Jacinda Ardern taking shots at hashtag Australia at the Pacific Island Forum. She knows only too well she's asking us to bear a huge cost. How is it in her country's interest to virtue signal against her country's best friend? We know why she did it. Okay, so virtue signal is an insult from the... It sort of dribbled its way from the far corners of the far-right internet through to the far-right corners of the Australian political establishment being Alexander Downer. Um, virtue signal. What, a, what, a, what an insult for the right to have uh, decided to double down on the idea that... It's, it's so revealing. Like It's the idea that if somebody's advocating something that is for the good, that is virtuous, that is something that is a positive for people other than themselves... They must have an angle. We can't understand why somebody would do this out of goodwill towards other human beings. They must be in it for some benefit. They're signalling so that they can get, you know, kudos out of it. They can get power out of it. They can get. They must. There's got to be an angle. We're going to find out what this angle is, and we're going to be able to leverage it ourselves. But in the meantime, we know that they must have an angle. And the best thing we can think of at the moment is that signalling it is the way that they transmit to the people from whom they receive this benefit that they're going to receive it, that they deserve that benefit. It's just so weird. We don't understand it. Why do people do virtuous things? The only people who say that are the people who never do the right thing. Uh, they're the only people who are con confused about the idea of why somebody might do the right thing. To be fair, Alexander Downer and people like him, they're happy to do the far right thing. 
uh, but not the right thing. That bit at the end, we know why she did it. I don't even send your guesses into at well may we say on Twitter. So, according to The Guardian, there's been some movement this week on the Conservatives' efforts to create a religious discrimination bill. And the way The Guardian reports this... I, look, can I ask anyone who is reporting from The Guardian or Buzz or any, any kind of organisation that's not like a, actually a fundamentalist journal, when you use terms like protections um, in relation to religions getting power, just, you know, exemptions from the laws that apply to the rest of us, can you put them in quotes or refer to them more accurately as privileges uh, and also when you when, when a religious organisation or a, a lobby group like the ACL are referring to being persecuted because quote, of their views on traditional marriage, that euphemism is not a neutral euphemism and it shouldn't be put in there just in the text editorially like if, they, if you want to do a quote that they say that then fine but it should at least be called well I, th- I would say even if it's in quotes it should be called out as being when they say, for their views on traditional marriage, it means for their hostility to LGBTI people having equal rights before the law on marriage. Like, that's what they mean. The euphemism, views on traditional marriage, is, is an, a, a dishonest, misleading code, which I would prefer not to see in The, uh, in the Guardian. But then the similar thing happened... Oh, last... it's Denise! Hello, Denise! Hello. You just dropped in to be part of the podcast. I did. Um, a similar thing happened last week with the Sydney Morning Herald and those um, basically anti-trans kits that Mark Latham and uh, Binary were sending out, where a lot of the SMH article actually quoted directly from the Binary media release without any sort of context. So it was framed very much, even though it did put uh, put a bit of a, oh, we're not sure why these sending them out, a large part Parts of it were talking about why they why these kits are being put together and were very inflammatory and damaging. Yeah, the, I have to say the, the fundamentalist lobby are much better organised at getting this stuff out there and having media treat it like what what they're doing, which is horrific demonising of LGBTI people. And fundamentally, this is not about um, some some neat balance of uh, you know people's rights to have personal beliefs and uh, other people's rights to you know be not... demonized <laughs> and have higher suicide rates and be discriminated against. This is one hundred percent a culture war thing where they are opposed to LGBTI people, full stop, and they are fighting back against anything which approaches acceptance, equivalent respect in the law. And anything which restricts their power to demonise and put down LGBTI uh. people, which is what the whole trans thing is. Like, it's not like they want to just sort of quietly have their own opinions about gender. No, they want to be telling kids that trans kids are wrong. They want to be telling kids that um, they're not trans. They want to tell trans kids that they're, they're, they're broken, they're wrong, that they're, that they're delusional, mm. that that's not a real thing. They, they want, want to, to do harm. And they, they want to tell other kids to treat them badly. Um, and so interestingly, um, one of the things that one of the religious groups says about this is one of the, the rights that they have is the right to teach children. That's one of their fundamental rights. Yeah, I saw that. That's Michael Callahan, the head of Freedom for Faith, a Christian legal think tank. So apparently he thinks that religious belief, this is how he defines it. It's not just an individual right. It's actually a right to gather with others. It is a right to teach children. It's a right to gather on the basis of belief. 
Well, okay. One of those things he repeated twice, which is the right to gather with others. And sure, I don't oppose. Yeah. Like, I'm sure you have freedom a, of association is yeah. is a right, you and it's a right not just for religious people; it's a right for all of us. Yeah. The right to teach children, by which he means indoctrinate them with a person, uh, their parents' religion. <laughs> no, why is that a right? Yeah. Sorry, if somebody's a member of a death cult, do they have a, a right to teach their children? Well, is it the religion? If they say it is. If somebody's a Satanist, do they have the right to teach their children, raise their children as Satanists? What, is the, what does the ACL think about that right? Which isn't it interesting, because one of the big arguments that you always see from people like the ACL and binary is that... They are that that LGBTQIA people are indoctrinating children. By which they mean countering our indoctrination. We've yeah. been telling them that there's only two genders and that trans people don't exist. And and you're coming out there and saying that we're wrong. How dare you indoctrinate them by which we mean countering our indoctrination? Exactly. Why how dare you? Oh. Alright, so we'll come back to the, the religious discrimination thing just in a sec. But while we're while we're on the subject of, of trans people, we've got the Victorian Parliament has been debating the amendments to the births and marriages yeah. um, legislation so that trans people can have their uh, identity, their gender identity, their gender presentation updated and corrected. Trans and non binary people. Without having to have invasive surgery that they may not want, that they may not be able to afford, certainly not covered by Medicare. Like the the ACL are opposed to this. They 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 want to they don't want trans people to have this right. They want the status quo to continue being people being forced to have surgery. Like, but they also then talk about how people are being forced to have surgery. Yeah, by you and your opposition to laws that don't force them to have oh, surgery. God. Yeah, they're bad. They're they are bad. bad, horrible people. Anyway, meanwhile, meanwhile the, the national newspaper, The Australian, has started with a whole new anti-trans section in their paper, which is 100% anti-trans stories all the time. They don't, uh, they don't talk what? to... Tra- yeah, they've got a whole new anti-trans section in the, in the Oz. It's great. What is this? Have a look at Benjamin Law's tweets on it. He's been tearing into it. It's great. Oh, my God. I mean, I by great, I mean he's righteously angry about something that is horrible, which is really a weird definition of great, so I take that back. But... Yeah, no, it's terrific. The, the, the Oz is just like, it's just their new culture war because they've lost the um, one about gays and lesbians. So now they're attacking the next um, group of people they can marginalise and oppress. And let's go back to what the ACL and the religious fundamentals. So the, the story here is coalition pressured to include protections for religious institutions in discrimination bill. And the story is that faith groups have been lobbying the government very hard this week. Um, Apparently they've been having secret meetings. Yeah, I did. And in fact, some of them weren't so secret. There was a picture of, of Scummo with all of these um, various faith leaders, but he's not meeting with the LGBTI people. Like, it's 100% about giving them these privileges and presenting it as a fait accompli once they've figured out how they're going to do it. And obviously, mm. one of the things that we've pointed out on this program before is that it's a very, very they're, they're going for a difficult balance because on the one hand, as employers, like, you know, and, and that's not just the churches themselves, it's like affiliated businesses, like, you know, hospitals, schools, like yep. social work facilities. They want the power that they currently have. They want the exemption from anti-discrimination laws. So they have the power to say that as an institution, their religious beliefs mean that they should be able to sack a gay person. They should be able to sack people unfairly purely because of their... They, they should be exempt from the unfair dismissal um, rules if that's for their religion as an employer. But on the other hand, Rugby Australia should not be able to sack Israel Folau for his religious views. So basically, employers should have power over employees if the employer is religious, but the employee should be exempt from any power from the employer if the employee is religious. They are trying to have it both ways. Very much so. And and just the idea that there is a workable balance between religious freedom and the competing rights, with the competing rights of marginalized people who... Don't want to... Yeah, we've got to find a balance between me discriminating against you and you not wanting to be discriminated against. There's no balance. The balance is, no, you don't get to discriminate. 
There was a little piece in here which implies where they think they've got it. So this is uh, Dan Flynn from the ACL. We're particularly concerned about what employees say outside of the employer. We think that an employer should only be able to restrict religious freedom in the workplace. So they should be able to but where it is absolutely necessary in the workplace. So they're trying, I think where they think they can do this is have it be defined that an employer, it's gotta be a necessary part of the employer. So they think they'll be able to do that, have that approach um, protect religious institutions, but otherwise employees, uh, the religious employees are free. So basically, yeah. But the way that's worded, it does sound like, so they couldn't sack the gardener for being gay because... No, 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 no. They, they think they would be able to because they'd be like, this is a religious thing with uh, with our school. Is there but that's put, not put relevant. Our, put our religious values and people uh, who are employees who aren't going to push our values. And we don't live the values, blah, blah. Yeah, but other companies, non-religious companies, wouldn't ha- be able to say that our religion is atheist. Well, except that, that Scum has also said that atheism, you know, not, not having a belief is also a form of religious belief in terms of any protection. So that... That exemption isn't going to... The way they're trying to do it isn't going to work because mm. not being a religious organisation would would be a reason why they would then be able to restrict the religious freedom, as they define it, of their employees. So they're trying to have it both ways. Because obviously they, they, they don't want a situation where they this... can't sack a Muslim person. Yeah, if... and I think they haven't thought this through because I think they're still thinking that this applies to Christian organisations and not other organisations. I think they're now alert to the idea that any powers they get, other religions will get. So they're trying to find a way that it can, like they can draft it without specifically saying it only apply, only helps Christian religious people. Um, trying to find a way to draft to find it a way to, to say to it only it. affects Christian people. What is the difference between us and the non-religious organisations? And so I think they've tried to go, they're going to try and do it with, ah, but our religious purpose is a defining characteristic of our organisation, where it's not a defining characteristic of most of the other companies. Well, they, it could be, like, you know, you could have schools of faith of, of a variety of faiths. Well, one of the recommendations in Ruddock's review was that religious schools should be allowed to discriminate in hiring, but they had to publicise it. They had to make it very clear that that's what they were going to do. So kind of a warning to everybody that they were going to do it. Hmm. So um, if you go to apply for a job there, it's in, it's in the job ad that like you had to be Catholic to work at the school. Yeah, no, I, I think that's an appalling... I, I don't think, think that's a compromise should be... About, like it was at least... It was a step backwards from now because you... You, pro- you might well find that schools don't want to have that ability to discriminate because if it means that they're actually going to be driving away parents of children who'd be like, oh, wait, that is actually a thing you, that is important to you and that you mm. do. Yeah, no, I don't want to send my kid there. So, um, I that, don't know that that would actually come into play, though. Especially, I mean, just the school would be filled with the worst people. Well, but especially with the uh, disparity with the school systems and the sort of semi-funded state that Catholic schools exist in um, and a lot of parents use them as an alternative to it's not quite a private school but it's not quite a public school. Which is also Wait, No, no, it is, it is, but I think that a lot of people would overlook that because it it goes to that. Yeah, because, yeah I, don't, I think there are they, a lot of people because, sending kids to Catholic schools who aren't Catholic. Oh yeah. They pretend to be Catholic to get go there but they aren't, they're certainly not like adherents to the homophobic aspects of the Catholic Church, for example. Or even weekly mass goers. Yes. And like the point we made before, I made before, because that was, it was just me, about the way that Alan Jones's nonsense has managed to distract from what, what the, the story should be, which is Australia stuffing over the climate. This, is, this attack from the fundamentalists following marriage equality has been very effective in stopping us looking at fixing the other things that are currently still wrong. So we're debating with which extra protections... God, I'm using their terminology. It's insidious. Yep. We're debating which other 
you know, how many extra privileges should they have? And the win condition for us is that they don't get any new privileges. And it's almost certainly not going to happen because Scummo has a majority in the in the parliament and can get some of this nonsense through. I hopefully mm. can't get it through the Senate, but they're they're building up to it and they've got a you know they've got a chance of religious people getting privileges too. And by the way, this isn't privileges to go and deal with things, you know, to gather together and to do things in no. their own time. These are privileges to harm other people around them, sack people for being gay, um, demonise people, and cause like flowers. Stuff is harmful. And this is what I'm saying. This is where we haven't... What we should be doing and what the debate should be about. And it, it's not. Have you heard anybody from Equality Australia or anybody from the pro-equality side of this argument pushing for what should be happening, which is we should be removing the exemptions religions have right now to sack yeah. people for being gay. That, well, and that's that, that, should people, have been, that would have been a logical follow-on from marriage equality. But right now, a, an employee at a Catholic school who gets married, a gay employee who gets married, can get sacked for that. They have that power. We haven't... That isn't even on the agenda. Mm. The Falau case is an example of... It's, it highlights that there are no hate speech protections. Falau's speech causes harm. It's Absolutely. not about offence. It's not about, oh, we, we, it hurts our feelings when, when Falau's just mean things. No, it's because he's prominent in that community. He's prominent amongst rugby people. He's prominent yep. amongst you know, um, people from that ethnic group. He's, he's pro- he has a big soapbox... And he's promoting attitudes which are harmful to vulnerable gay people or yeah. promote homophobic attitudes in a country where there's homophobic violence. This is hate speech. It's the same stuff as if a, a fascist is out there demonising Jewish people. Yeah. It has the same potential to do harm because LGBTI people are a persecuted group. They are, they are already a group that suffers violence. That should be stuff that, for the same reason as we have the stuff protecting um, ethnic groups, it should I protect agree. LGBTI people. And once again... Where's the debate on either of those things? That's the stuff that should be... That's the law reform we should be considering, not whether religions should get to wind it back further. Yeah, yeah. And I think it was surprising how many people didn't realise that uh, religious organisations already had those a lot of those privileges. Yeah. You know, you talk to people and they're like, no, they can't, and then they realise that they can, and it's a bit... People are a bit terrified. I mean, to be fair to the Australian, quote, Christian lobby given that their aim is to continue as much harm to LGBTI people for as long as possible, that they push back against the moves for LGBTI people to have full equality and be treated decently. And that's the big campaign that they have. Mm. They've defined their religion as pushing back against you know, social, secular, progressive, what they call cultural Marxism, by which they mean LGBTI people being treated the same as the rest of us. Yeah. Given that that's what they want to do, they've been very effective. The, the idea that... Like, we're talking about whether, whether religious organisations should have more powers to do this. It's stopped in its tracks, mm. that push for, to remove their power to do this. Like, they've been... Ve- if, if attack is the best form of defence, this is a very good example of just how true that aphorism is. Like, they have done very well by pushing back before we had a chance. Mm. And we should have been prepared with the next step. We should have said, yeah, of course that stuff follows. Because LGBTI people are equal. And they should be treated equally. And yes, that does all... None, none of the other stuff that Lyle bullshits about, oh, we said this would happen with marriage equality, where he's basically anything that follows marriage equality must have been caused by it. But in the sense that, yeah, we should be pushing towards equality and we are yet to achieve it, yeah, there should have been stuff... We should have been ready to go with it. That marriage, equal, marriage is not the end of the thing. 
no, no, it's the beginning of the fight. There's so much more. Like, it's, it's just one, it's one big step. It is one big step, but there's so many other steps and there's so many other ways people can be harmed and discriminated against and there's so many ways that they are that these other protections, quote unquote, need to be dismantled. I mean, I, I, it is not a slippery slope that goes on forever. We are simply pushing towards full equality for LGBTI people. That's the end goal. Mm. We're not there yet. People think we've got there with marriage. But we didn't. That's not the whole thing. People don't realise that LGBTI people are still are still a persecuted group. But, I mean, we should be able to fix it. Like, they're not... It's not that hard to fix it. Things like hate speech protections and removing you know, the parts of the law that enable discrimination against them. Mm. We could fix those. As a, probably a longer-term push to, you know, over time for um, LGBTI people to be um, you know, granted full equality in terms of social aspects, so as, as opposed to the law... But we—that's the law changes and then the community catches up. But we're not there yet, and no. these people are trying to push us back further away from that goal. They absolutely and are. We need to be very watchful of it. And in the meantime, look—if you have people who you know who are active in campaigning for um, equality for LGBTI people, can we get a bit of momentum in pushing back and saying, "Hang on, let's allow case." Yeah, we should be getting. There should be hate speech protections. Yeah, the sacking LGBTI employees. Oh, and that, that that should be an exemption that religions don't have. We should be pushing for these things. And, but you remember, even before the election, you know, when, uh, for example, Shorten was asked about that sort of thing, he was asked specifically about Flau. He was like, oh, you know, I, I, I feel very, it's something we have to investigate and it's something we have to consider. And, I'm just saying, and, we and, support but, but, full but, equality. But LGBTQIA people are, are at risk and, and, and we recognize that. And I haven't heard them say anything since the election about that much, anything more positive since the election either. So. It's really not hard. You say, they yeah, waffle. our end goal is equality for LGBTI people. Yes. That's it. Yes. Equality. Yes. And we're not there yet. We need to do these things to get there. Yes, and instead they waffle. So apart from Victoria, the other development in state parliaments that the religious lobby are very angry about, of course, is Gladys Berejiklian and the New South Wales uh, Parliament passing uh, an abortion law, Fif- uh, finally decriminalising abortion. 59 to 31. Yeah, 2019. Um, I think a lot of people just assumed it was already decriminalised in New South Wales. Well, because New South Wales is one of those funny states where it was, you had this really, this loophole where they just wrote something up saying that it was a mental issue or it was a stress issue and, and you could get it done, which was fine if you were in a city, but if you were rural, it was much, much harder. Yeah, I had to go back across the border. Or, yeah. yeah, and even still, like, you had to find a rural doctor who would write that up. If you were in the city, you could go to, you know, a Marie Stopes or something like that, and they would just basically, oh, yeah, no, this is stressful for you. Yeah, yeah, we'll do it. So there's a bit of pushback now that it got through, and they're trying to shove some amendments in in the upper house. And I've heard somewhere they were trying to do, like, trying to criminalise. If They're trying to assert that literal babies are born so like they're born alive and then the doctors kill murder them. them now that is already a crime it will always be a crime because once a human being is born if you then kill that human being that's murder it's not abortion murder yes it's, it's like um south park where cartman's mum was re- like reading an abortion helpline and she's like you know i want to have an abortion um and they're like how, how far along is the the, the child and, and and she's like oh he's eight eight years old now <laughs> and this is like no you can't anyway no I, killing I, a child 
is a crime. But when we're yes. talking about killing children, we're talking about abortions, which are terminating fetuses. So what's the other thing they're trying to bring in? Uh, sex selection abortions. That you can't have a sex selection abortion, which is, is all the rage these days. So everyone, everyone does. It's it's part of the whole gender reveal party thing. So what you do is you go and you so um, far to a large part of the you you get your ultrasound, way. and when you discover what sex your child is going to be, you go, "Oop, not the one I wanted. I already bought all the pink accessories. Going to have to abort this one." Medical authorities are saying that there's absolutely no evidence that sex selection abortions are happening in New South Wales. The the bottom line is, I don't know how you would criminalize it anyway, because people can find out the sex really early. Um. And if they have the right to an abortion, like, what are you going to do? Like, quiz the mother on if she, like, give her, take a lie detector test? Do you know the idea, the, the gender of this child? Yeah, well, and there's a variety of things. Like, God, it's, it's so insidious. Yes, it they, is. They make you start talking about children. They're not children! Don't they mourn! I had a friend in Canada who um, had an ultrasound with her before her child where she needed to find out the gender because the umbilical cord is quite short and if it was male it almost leads it almost always leads to severe birth defects and they recommend terminating the pregnancy um and so if it's female it's fine um and it was it was female it's fine and and everything was good so she needed to find out the gender so she would have known the gender and would have terminated had it been male because it would have most likely already had some severe birth defects however is that a sex selection I don't know how they would Like, draft. how do they enforce that? How do they draft? Like, yeah. No, it's impossible. You can't draft sensibly. And once again, the same as the um, attacks on trans people from the religious lobby, the, the bottom line is the people who are proposing these, they're not, like, trying to finesse the w- ways in which, you know, d- to make the abortions more reasonable and safer. Like, they don't know like when they debate euthanasia, they're trying to find a way to, you know, protect from edge cases. No, uh. they're not. They're using excuses to attack the whole idea because the fun, every single one of the people who is opposed to this are opposed to abortions at all. They're opposed to terminating, um, you know, to taking a morning after pill. Yeah. They're opposed to terminate, you know, collection of cells you know, within a week after conception. That's their bottom line. Yep. Their bottom line with trans people is they don't think trans people exist. They think that, that they, they should be stopped. They don't think gay people are a real thing. They think it's sinful and it should be stopped. These are people who... The, it's not the slippery slope. The bottom line is, this isn't good faith debating from them. They're not like, well, look, we're okay with it, you know, with this little compromise. No, they, this is a, if they get this compromise, they'll chip away at something else. The bottom line is they want it gone. In the same way as, you're right, when we got marriage equality, I did want to chip away until we have full equality. Like, the, the positions are fundamentally opposed. In terms of abortion, these people won't be happy as long as a woman has the right to terminate Well, that's okay, because apparently now the upper house members are saying things like, there's no need to rush this through. I mean, there's women dying now, but... Let's just slow down. No, yeah, let's just keep this criminalized. Let's just keep discriminating against women. Let's just... It's not like we're currently having a need to legislate women's bodies. It's not like there are currently women in rural New South Wales who need these services to be available, or or will be in the next few months, too. Like... This is urgent, actually. It's a yeah. medical issue, and it medically affects people. And you know what? The one thing I have noticed with pregnancies, they don't pause. No, we are not actually pandas. That's right. Pandas can pause. You know, pa- but no, but we're not pandas. So koalas can too, you're apparently. You're not a panda. I'm a panda in a human suit. I mean, no, I'm not. I'm definitely that not a panda in a human so suit. That explains so much about our daughter. No. Um, I'm a human. I speak human. Exactly. I say human things. But yeah, like, we're, we're not I'm pandas. I'm not a panda. That's what a human would say. We're not pandas. We don't pause our pregnancies when things get stressful and we can't find food. Yeah. Also, definitely not a panda. 
I know that obviously the people who are opposed to women having this control over their own bodies uh, will delay it as long as they can because the status quo is that women don't have that right in many places in New South Wales, even though it's 2016. And so, yeah, if your entire aim is to frustrate this reform, then you'll go for as many delaying tactics as you can. But I, I would say to all these um, conservatives who are like, oh, what, what's the need to rush it? Well, A, um, because it actually affects people's lives right now. It does. Uh, and B, I don't recall any of you being like, oh, what's the need to rush these stage three tax cuts that uh, won't come in actually for another, until the, after the next election. Why do we have to pass them today? Why do they have to be attached to these other ones that you think that you've got a mandate for? That, that's federal, not not state. But the same principle. I know, Why exactly. do they have to be rushed through? Oh, because it's something you wanted <laughs> and you wanted to lock it in before, you, before anybody could or, like, really realise what was happening. Or a very good New South Wales example... Why did the stadium deal that apparently you hadn't actually finished because you hadn't actually signed up the contractor to do the construction of it as well, even though you announced it, why did that have to be rushed through before the election to have it demolished and then kick the construction company off because you couldn't come to an agreement that you said you'd come to? Yeah. Look, their point is, if this was going to happen, why wasn't it uh, an election issue? But that's the election issues are not for conscience votes. Like, conscience votes... The election is who are the parties. Conscience votes are people voting outside party lines. And mm. God, can you imagine the New South Wales election if it had been an abortion election? Yep. Like, and they're, they're right. You get all these conservatives who are like, oh, it's a very personal issue. Yes, it is. So get the criminal law out of women's bodies. Exactly. Now. Exactly. Now it should have happened like last End year. End of story. Today is the worst time to be doing this apart from any time after than today. Yes. Certainly, you know, a year ago would have been better and a year before that would have been better again. But today is the day, like... Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, the groups that this really hurts are people who are living rurally, are people who are living in communities where they feel isolated, are people who can't get to doctors where a doctor will refer them to another doctor if they have a conscious issue. Like, these are the women you're hurting. And the anti-abortion side are such shameless lies. They pretend that every DNC is an abortion, which it isn't. Yeah. They pretend that... Women are like having late term abortions just for the fun of it. Like, they are, find me one single late term abortion. I don't that's care. For you any, could you could find me one where in, someone in did it Australia, for, but you could find me one who someone did it just because, and I wouldn't what? care. But you could. But I'm saying like if you I don't did, know they could. No, they no, have, they, they would have that okay. as an example if they could. I'm using the wrong words. Even if you did find me one. I wouldn't care. Yeah, I would still wouldn't... think they need to be an option. Yes, but it's also like a nonsense because it's not a thing. It's not yeah. a real thing. Nobody, nobody's you know gestating a fetus for eight months and then going, yeah, yeah. All right. So we had two big cases in relation to our general freedoms this week. One is the High Court decision in McCarty Banerjee's case, which uh, so she used to tweet, or I think she still does tweet under at La Legale, um, and she was tweeting stuff critical of uh, Sandy Logan, who was higher up in her than her in the Department of Immigration, but she was tweeting critical things of Australia's immigration policy and approach to these things, um, but she was doing it anonymously. She wasn't identifying herself as a person who worked in the department. Um, mm. She was just a public servant who was who had political opinions. That was about her own department, um, and she wasn't whistleblowing, um, which should have been... Whistleblowing yeah. should be a defence. Um but she was tweeting stuff outside work hours and anonymously. And the High Court has held that the APS code that says that she can't do that is proportionate and fair. 
and that the implied... So we don't have a Bill of Rights. Um, there is an implied uh, freedom of political communication, which is why um, when Paul Keating tried to bring in some uh, campaign finance sort of restrictions in Australia, they were overturned. Mm-hmm. Um, but the High Court's held that that just apply, that doesn't apply to individuals. Yep. Which is bizarre. Now, I have seen uh, um, a lot of criticism um, of the backlash saying, oh, well, what if what if a public servant was out there, somebody working in the Department of Immigration was out there saying, you know, that we shouldn't be letting uh, you pick a, 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 a racial or religious group. We mm-hmm. shouldn't be letting them into the country. You know, would I think that it was fine for them? Should, should the department not be able to sack them? Like, well, isn't the distinction, because people can say, if it's hate speech, there should be laws protecting people from hate speech, so it shouldn't matter who you work for in that case. And if you're not identifying yourself as working for that employer... I accept the premise that an employer has an interest in what their employees say and do when they are representing themselves as employees of that company or entity. Yes. But when we're talking about people who are doing it anonymously, there, there is, you know, there's no reason why you would think that Ala La Legal worked in the Department of Immigration. Yeah, I've, I've seen the allegation that she apparently had a picture of her Twitter avatar at her desk or something, so it was easy for Sandy Logan to figure out that that was her, which... Classic boomer shit, but so what? Um, the point is that the idea that the public service is supposed to be apolitical, her tweets weren't suggesting to the public that it isn't because her tweets weren't yeah. being identified as being connected with the public service. So, no, not in any way. But apparently the anonymous comments could still damage the integrity and reputation of the public service. And it's like, you're right, anonymous how? comments could damage... Oh, as in like from any other private citizen. Exactly. They could from any private citizen and you have absolutely no way of connecting these these things. So now that this is... uh, The the, the APS code, they're accepted that they can dictate what you do anonymously in your own time and now that you've got... Remember that the um, AFP and... Like, the terrifying... The department that she's in is now the same department that runs the AFP mm. and they have all this metadata access. So, basically, for example, anyone who works in the public service and is critical of the Department of Immigration, they'll get... They'll track down your bloody metadata and find out who it mm. is. Like, you... They are, I don't know. I am, I am not on board with the idea that public servants do not have the freedom to engage politically. And I've seen people say... Oh, well, they're allowed to, you know, res- resign uh, their job so they can run for parliament and then have their job held for them when they come. Yeah. So freaking what? They shouldn't need to do to run for parliament to have free political expression. I accept that they should not be allowed to... Well, so there'd be consequences if you are representing yourself as, as a person who works for the department or for, yeah. for that employer. But if you're doing it anonymously, no. I mean... In fact, in fact, having that be the distinction gives the person who's doing it anonymously a massive incentive to make sure that they remain anonymous because if it's ever found out that they were working with the department, then obviously their protection would disappear. So it would make sense for them. Surely that's the way to protect the integrity of the public service. Look, I just, I've seen a few friends at various times silence themselves uh, on, on things and not say things because they worked in the public service and, and stop themselves from getting into conversations and stop themselves from being in conversations online, like ex- recuse themselves. I've actually seen other people start having debates on their Facebook walls and have them saying, I'm deleting this post because I work for the APS and I'm worried about it coming back to talk about me. I've comments on their thing. Yeah, yeah, and so like so other people start a comment thread which doesn't involve them, but it came on their post and they said, I have to delete this now. 
it's kind of a section 44 it's like the section 44 thing it is in section 44 things but um the section 44 problem is that it rules out people who are who would be perfectly good um representatives and people in government from from running for parliament unless they're willing to give up their um cultural heritage uh and this stops people who are perfectly good uh intelligent people who could engage in the political debate in a constructive way from engaging in the political debate in a constructive way I do not think that it is to the benefit of the rest of us, the mm. community as a whole, for people to be not to be prevented from engaging openly and fairly in, in our democratic system. It makes it not democratic, and it's nonsense. And frankly, we need a bill of rights for all these things. We need bills of rights that you know protect LGBTI people from being demonised by somebody like Falau. We need a bill of rights that protects people from having you know celibate religious people who Mm-mm. think they can dictate whether or not they what operations they can have with their body from doing so um, although um, uh, we skipped over this but the uh, Victorian Archbishop saying that he's, he's, he'd prefer to go to jail than uh, oh, break the, the seal break the seal of confessional, confessional to report uh, child abuse that's horrible yeah. uh, then, what oh, oh, but to be fair it's, it was one of the most fundamental lessons that Jesus taught in the gospels do not report on child abusers oh wait yeah. no that's actually not no, do not break anyway, the seal yeah. of confession on a matter of the crime you know what? Actually, I've read the New Testament and the Old Testament. Okay, not every bit of the Old Testament. I read, but I've read the New Testament, and I'm fairly confident that there is nothing in there about the seal of the confessional. Yes. Well, and one of the other points that they make in this uh, case is we're back to Benerji. We're back to Benerji. Yes. One of the other points they make is, but she, you're only um, this inability to talk about politics is only while you're an APS employee. As oh, so while you're having a, a living. You know, a 30 to 40 year career. It's only for that period that you have to be apolitical and not have an opinion. By the way, the other thing Spock is about this is that there are plenty of public servants like Sandy Logan, like um, uh, Pazzolo um, from Border of, of Fast. There are plenty of public servants who are very political, but they're political in favour of the government, so that's yep. fine. Yep. So... If we're talking about the uh, apolitical neutrality of the APS, that's not established by any of this. This is all about whether the APS can sack you, and they only do that when you're doing something contrary to the government of the day. Mm -hmm. So it's not about the APS being apolitical at all. It's about their their ability to silence dissent. Absolutely. And one of the comments I have certain is that this could actually cover the ABC. Yeah, that would be interesting if they tried to extend it to that Mm. point. I don't... I... Do ABC employees sign up to the APS Code of Conduct? I don't think they do. It would be interesting to find out. It would, but we haven't. So let's, yes. move, in. let's move on to... She was ordered to pay costs. Yeah, no, it's horrific. I, I dread to think what well, they'd be in the High Court. They would, be, uh, they, they would be basically declared bankruptcy unless you have a house. Um, in which case, even then lose you your house and then declare bankruptcy. Yeah. Um, well. So, all right. The other issue from this week in relation to general freedoms and... Uh, and how we no longer have them in Australia. And finding out what's going on. Witness K and Bernard Collery. And Witness K finally coming to an agreement that he will plead guilty. Which to, is horrific. Which is, but, you know, as uh, and Bernard Collery saying that uh, he'll continue to fight these charges um, himself, but that he understands where Witness K is coming from. So, um, again, I think earlier in the episode I referred, suggested people watch that uh, satirical uh, Australian government uh, ad on uh, Timor Leste. So the bottom line is that when Downer's uh, efforts were exp- so we cheated uh, East Timor out of the their oil uh, in for the benefit of Woodside Petroleum uh, and by virtue of ASIO bugging their officers during the uh, negotiations. So shonky as hell, ordered yes. by Alexander Downer, disgraceful. 
witness <coughs> K through his law- and through his lawyer Bertocari were the people who exposed that, and as a result, they're the ones who've been prosecuted. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a disgrace, and uh, one more example of why we should need to have whistleblower protections. So you know, just on the list for uh, if we ever somehow. Um, find ourselves in charge of the country. Oh, gosh. Whistleblower, whistleblower protections. protections. Weirdly enough, even people who argue for whistleblower protections, when they become powerful, suddenly not so keen on whistleblower protections anymore. Maybe mm. it's something that we just have to force the powerful to do and assume that the powerful will always be opposed to it. Sure. I'm just really sad to see... Like, I understand no. why Witness K is finally just copying it, because it would be horrific being at war with those thugs and bullies, but... It absolutely would, and it would be so hard and difficult. It's so wrong that they have to. Yeah. So before we go, I wanted to check back in on what we had been covering in terms of the pushback from the right attacking uh, the efforts to increase pressure on the government to finally increase Newstart so that people aren't, you know, starving to death. Now, we saw in previous episodes uh, the efforts through uh, Channel 7 uh, with their makeup doll bludger number people being um pinged for for missing appointments and so forth and it Uh. turns out that it was it's almost all uh, dodgy um service providers uh and they're not and channel 7 having to apologize for calling people doll bludgers for that and then the oz uh what was it what was the oz's attack i've I've blocked it out of my head now but anyway the last episode we had um the oz's uh nonsense about it uh, and so it's like the government is leaking to each of their friendly uh, conservative commercial uh, news outlets attacks on people receiving Newstart. So it's, they can't really defend the, the rate of Newstart, but what they do think they can do is separate people's sympathies from mm. the people who are suffering. And if they can get enough working class people to be like, ah, I don't want to give any more money to those bad doll bludgers who I hate. Yeah. Um, and of course, Labour is not out there pointing out to... Uh, working class people that actually knew something so low pulls their wages and conditions down because employers know what are you going to do quit die on new start no you got to take what i give you and uh, also like pushing people on new start to compete more for shitty low paid jobs again pulls those conditions down as well but even the uh, Reserve Bank of Australia governor has said that raising Newstart will be more effective than the tax cuts to boosting the economy. Well, of course it would. I'm, I, do, I did note this week that um, Frydenberg's having to identify, um, having to acknowledge that there are some significantly dangerous wins coming to his uh, budget, budget forecasts. Uh, and um, we all know that the people who are going to be kicked are going to be the very poor. And we know that the people, which is why, of course, they had to lock in that $158 billion of tax cuts before any of this stuff hit. Oh, I'm sorry, that money's gone now. We gave it away. We gave it away. Can't get it back. It's gone now. Can't undo the tax cuts. Anyway. There's um, actually a really great article on ABC um, that fact-checks the new start 90% of people are receiving different payments, and it goes through what all those different payments are, what percentage oh, yeah. of people are receiving them, and how little most of them are. It's mostly the, that energy supplement of like a dollar or something. Yeah, it works out to a dollar. And the people who are, for example, the 28% of new start recipients that are receiving rent assistance get an additional, on average, about $100 a fortnight, which isn't very much. That's... Fifty dollars a week. Fifty dollars a towards week towards rent. Towards rent. That's yeah. twenty-eight. Pr- and that's only. That's like a quarter of the people. Um, and the Frydenberg on the on the radio said that people are getting the parenting payment, but you don't get your parenting payment if you're on New Start. He then later said it was the family tax benefit. Um, also, if you are getting more money for that, it's because you have children, and that doesn't cover the cost of children. No, it really doesn't. So this week's drops were to Channel Nine, apparently, and so we had two uh, stories from Channel Nine. 
attacking people on New Start. We had this one about how welfare, quote, cheats were avoiding the restrictions from the Shonky Indu card. The government is currently running a trial across four sites that sees 80% of a Centrelink recipient's payments loaded onto a debit card. Other areas use the older 50% basics card. The system controls what those on welfare can and can't buy, designed to cut access to things like cash, alcohol, drugs, gambling sites, tobacco or pornography. Nine News, though, has obtained a copy of an internal message warning West Farmers workers about cardholders purchasing multiple preloaded vanilla gift cards from self-service checkouts at department stores. It allows them to buy whatever they want right under the nose of authorities. Within 10 minutes, he'd bought alcohol. Minutes later, he had a pack of cigarettes too. And in another 15 minutes, he'd gone out and murdered six people. Seriously, these are people accessing their own bloody money. The, the idea that we get to um, like d dictate to the poor how they spend their poultry... Uh, Preposterous. Like, like, I don't know how they're... Like, there's anything left over because the payment is so low in the first place. But maybe people pull it together or something. But, like, if you... If of your very limited, if the, if the thing that keeps you going is some cigarettes or if the thing that keeps you going is a bottle of wine or some beer, then by all means, go get it. Yeah. Like get stuffed telling people. No, none of the people who are, who are fine with this would accept the government telling them or their employer. No. Telling them how they can spend their money. Yeah. Like, but they've got this idea that because it's coming from um, the taxpayer, like broadly, because it's coming from general revenue, therefore they get to dictate it. But you know, I, I'm pretty sure I don't get to dictate to the government. You know, where, where, what, uh, what military hardware it buys, or what, yeah. uh, what they do with you know the the, the um, MPs' offices. Or oh, speaking of which, did you get your income tax thing again this year, which splits up where your taxes went, and it says welfare is the biggest chunk. But then if you look at it, it splits it up, and most of it's actually the aged pension, and very oh, little yeah, yeah. of it's New Start. No, no so, New Start's tiny and keeps going down. Yeah, exactly. But, but so, they call it welfare because people think welfare is New Start. Which... Exactly. But then it breaks down welfare underneath. It. But it's just it's that high whole idea, you know. Like I don't tell the government where to spend my tax money that they get, but they decide where they're going to spend it, and and I don't put it on a card. Not to, never mind that the card itself is socially isolating. You have an Indu card that is a specific card that people recognize, and that, that you can only yeah, exactly that you can only use for certain things, and you can't use it at the market. So if you want to a, buy cheaper vegetables and so forth. You, they uh, won't be able to, you can't do it. Well, you could do that with the, what, 10 to 20% of your income you get in the cash because you don't need that for other things. But yeah, it's also... Oh, people having problems with the paying their rent with it. And yeah, and there are small communities and uh, so oh, it's Because it's not a financial company. They're not no. a financial, like, proper financial institution. Yeah. So there are often problems like accessing it. Like, it's it's a terrible idea. I Every, it's from, I from the it execution to the idea behind it. It's it's patronising and insulting, and mm. and it's wrong. And it's it's the same as the thing. Hey, I'm, can I do a quick? My, I hate the idea that that, that landlords get to do six monthly inspections on tenants. Mm. I think that's absurd and intrusive and they don't shouldn't have any right to do that they can you know drive past every year to make sure the house doesn't burn down and that's and they should insure it like the rest of us you know every other homeowner insures their house in case of accident but um the point that sorry the connection to this is 
None of the people, if I just say that now, I'm willing to bet that even in the podcast listened to by lefties, there'll be people who will be like, oh, it's not so unreasonable for, for you know, landlords to come through. You know, they you know, should be able to check on their investment and stuff. Okay, um, should the bank be able to go through uh, any mortgage holder's house every six months to make sure that they're keeping the investment fine? And, you know, if they don't like how they're keeping it, sell it out from under them? Should the equivalent thing apply to people who have mortgages? No, of course not, because the people who have mortgages wouldn't accept that. Yeah. And it shouldn't, it's... Anyway, it's the idea that people want are happy to impose a, a demeaning, punitive thing on other people fundamentally because deep down they think they're lesser. They don't yeah. deserve the yeah. same rights. For but if I got my paycheck every month and it's well, it came on a card and I was only allowed to spend X amount on, you know, food and only at certain places and I couldn't ever order a takeaway and I couldn't ever, you know, oh, no, this much, much has to go for your bills and rent. And if you don't put this much, like, I would find that insulting and prescriptive and be like get fucked and finding a new job yeah oh you're on new site and you've gone for a job interview and the employer come wants to go and have a discussion about the new job down at a local pub or cafe yep at a pub they sit down with you know they sit down with a beer what have a discussion about it oh dear you're gonna have to shout me because i've only got an indu card i'm a povo yeah good that's gonna go well i'm sorry i'm using that term because it's a kind of demeaning like attitude of this like i'm not endorsing it it's a horrible you know it is and and the thing is it is often disadvantaged people who are disadvantaged communities like a lot of the communities where this is being trialed are aboriginal communities predominantly where they always start with this horrible yeah and it's just it's so insulting the second part of uh, this week's Channel 9 welfare beat-up was uh, this story about the government's new welfare fraudster lab. Now, compare their claims about the sort of thing it's going to do and their one example of the sort of thing where they've actually clawed back some money. Because mm-hmm. they're not the same thing at all. Welfare fraudsters are on notice, with the federal government going high-tech to catch them out. It's launched a new digital forensic lab here in Brisbane, as Queensland takes out top spot for the most number of doll cheats. It looks like something out of CSI. This digital forensic lab full of high-tech gadgetry and cyber specialists, focused on catching welfare cheats. The multi-million dollar lab is only the second of its kind in Australia. The other facility in Canberra has already helped jail criminals like Mohammed Omar, who claimed $370,000 through the National Disability Insurance Scheme for disability services he never provided. If you're saying you actually went to uh, job interviews in location A, B and C, but your devices said you're in Cairns and Port Douglas having a great time at the taxpayer's expense because you defrauded them for some money, you might have some difficult answers to, uh, I should say, difficult questions to answer. Amusingly, at one point, Channel 9 was actually showing CSI, so it's totally a cross-promotion. Nice little swing oh, there. They certainly would not be promoting it if it was on another channel. They would they would have pitched the uh, Channel 9 um, show. But did you notice that the... the, the the one that's attacking welfare cheats, it was this idea that you might go, say you're at a job interview somewhere, but your phone is in Port Douglas. Okay, well, it's not possible that somebody, you know, somebody else in your family might have taken the phone. So or you, you know, left like, your phone somewhere, because I personally have never left home without my phone, gotten all the way to work and gone, crap. Like, I just, I love that it fits in with this fantasy that they all have, that people are receiving the pathetically, what, $250 a week new start, and they're somehow living it up high in Port Douglas. Like... I, how? How do they think that they're doing this? Like, you're, you're, there are 
determined to believe that the paltry amount of money, there's somehow... Hell, if people were receiving New Start were as good at managing money as the paranoid fantasies of the people who think that Donald Trump yeah. is living it up. So they should be running the country. Oh my also, goodness. if they were to put the millions of dollars they're spending on that lab into improving New Start, it would be a start. <laughs> yeah. But that's okay. They've caught people. They've caught... Yeah, not a person receiving New Start, somebody, oh. a shonky NDIS provider. That's not the same thing at all. Yeah, crap. It's almost like we shouldn't have sent these all things down to private corporations. It's almost like... This is also part of the, we've commented on this before, the fundamental idea that the conservative mindset, they would rather spend millions, hundreds of millions on expensive computer attack equipment to, you know, catch somebody. To catch one person. Spending, he's overpaid 50 bucks. Like, they will, and the same, they'll spend, you know, billions of dollars persecuting people on remote offshore islands to stop them receiving $250 a week in New Start. Like, the fundamental defi- one of the defining characteristics of the conservative mind is being willing to spend a lot of money preferring that um, that people they don't think are deserving are stopped from receiving any benefit they would they would rather sacrifice from themselves to make sure that doesn't happen yes like which is weird because their whole fantasy is that it's not a zero-sum game and we can all get ri- if rich people get rich it's not at the expense of the poor we all get rich together but the, the very idea of the poor person getting something, they're convinced it's coming from them somehow. Yeah. Like, anyway. And news.com.au had this just... Okay. If you read this headline, do you click on the article or do you go... Oh, if, if you're in a rush and, you know, you don't have time to waste on bullshit, do you bother even clicking on it? This is the headline. Aussies turning their backs on $17,000 a week tradie jobs, boss claims. Hmm. Is there any part of you that thinks that that is in any way plausible? Nope. Who the hell is turning down a $17,000 a week tradie job? That is implausibly stupid. And of course it is. It's bullshit. I'll give you a quick rundown. So it's like, see where, see where, you can tell me where it goes wrong. Uh, Ryan Graham, now remember that name because Ryan Graham has been seen before. Ryan Graham has lost count of the number of tradies he's hired who have downed their tools and walked off the job within minutes. Writes Alexis Carey at news.com.au. Young Aussies are turning their backs on jobs with salaries of up to $17,000 a week before they're, because they're too lazy to put in the hard yards. Mm. That's according to Sydney man Ryan Graham, who has earned, owned a commercial flooring company for around 10 years. He said young Australians were abandoning lucrative trades altogether, while the few who did apply for roles regularly quit soon after starting. Interesting. Um, okay. It's very suspicious about why everybody's quitting um, working for you, Ryan, so soon after starting. Yeah. Uh, the problem has become so widespread, the 42-year-old has sponsored foreigners to fill roles in the past. Oh, my God. But he said a government clampdown on the sponsorship of foreigners for his trade had left him in the lurch. Okay, so he's, this is why he's doing it. It's a yeah. whinge about, I was doing these cheap foreigners everyone who are easy to exploit. Everyone you see on a job site is Brazilian or English or Irish or Argentinian. They just love working. Oh, those people, those people just love to work. Mm. Um, he says, he's had 15 guys over the last few years who haven't lasted more than a week. I interviewed one guy for an hour who was there for 10 minutes before he walked off the job. Now, that's really weird. Like, so far I'm like, why would they, that doesn't, why, who's applying for a job and then quitting after 10 minutes? Mm. Um, now, we never actually get the other ex- perspective of what Ryan Graham is like to work for. Yeah, um, they, they don't talk to anyone he's worked with. No, they don't. 
Um, so what is the problem? Why is it? And and he's he's like, you know, it's path- this is it's pathetic, really. We grew up and worked hard, and we were really excited to get a job as a tradesman. Now no one wants to work hard. Growing up, I'd be working six or seven days a week for twenty years. Obviously, that's an extreme case, but back then people were proud to have a trade, and the reality is, carpet and vinyl laying is the highest paid trade in Australia. It's also a really hard trade. Like it's really hard on your body. It's bad for your back and knees. Like there's. He's, he's a lot of injury that. that comes with it. So, it seems a bit weird, though, that somebody's applying and then quitting after 10 minutes if, if, if he's in any way a reasonable mm. employer. Um, the older workers who aren't working as hard would make an average of three to $4,000 a week. Wait, there, there, there's like a thirteen to $14,000 gap there. Mm-hmm. But if you want to get in there, that's not 17000 no. No. But if you want to get in there and work hard, younger guys can average seven to 8000 a week, which is also not 17000 no, there's like a $10,000 gap there. It is hard work, but who wouldn't want to work hard for that? Well, everybody who's who's worked for you, apparently, yeah. for some reason. Um, now, here is the 17000 thing. He said he knew of one contractor who, on good weeks, made $17,000. Between him and his apprentice, who probably took home around $1,000. Yeah, so you're basically making this all this money off the backbreaking work of your apprentice here giving a thousand dollars cash to you i remind you that the headline is aussies turning their back on seventeen thousand dollar a week tradie jobs yeah they're not are they anyway so it's a thousand dollars all right the problem is young guys see that and want seventeen thousand straight away but you've got to work three to five years to be able to make that money but wait didn't he just say that aussies are turning their back on a seventeen thousand dollar a week job right away yeah he did he said they're turning it down and he's like but you can't have it yet like, that doesn't sound like they're turning it down. Secondly, um, he's just talked about how um, people are working, again, three to 4,000 or seven, if, if, or the younger guys working really hard. God knows what that means to him. I dread to think. Um, seven to 8,000. None of that 17,000. And the 70, mm. only person getting 17,000 was somebody who's, who's that's just between two people, and he's taking it. And, and sorry, he's taking 16, and the apprentice is taking 1,000. Like, wow. what? Also interesting. The, the most common question we get as soon as someone comes in for an interview is, how much are you paying? In my day, if you asked that, you'd be told to get out. You were just glad to have a job. What? <laughs> you mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're not doing the job for me to pay you. You're doing it because you enjoy giving me your labor. Yeah. What, what, I can't. How rude. Mm. You want to know how much I'm going to pay you? No. The job, this, impl- this thing, you're lucky if I let you go out and do labour for me. The, if there's some pay that comes in at the end, that's, I mean, it's not, it's not the important part, is it? Exactly. <laughs> it's, t- it's the friends you made along the way. <laughs> that's just hilarious. Anyway, so basically complete bullshit. Uh, there's nobody's being offered the $70,000 jobs at all, let alone being offered it and turning it but down. That's, of course, the headline. Yeah, which, you know, news.com, they do should hang their heads in shame. Interestingly, uh, there's an earlier story. Um, I'm not sure if this is from, that somebody's picked up on Twitter. I'm not sure if it's from. Uh, is it from. Uh, no, it's not clear whether this is from Sydney Morning Herald or from uh, news.com.au. But anyway, it looks like when the tax cuts were coming in, they interviewed the same guy. Uh, Rylex Flooring in Karinga, in the heart of Treasurer Scott Morrison's electorate in the Sutherland Shire, is one of the 60,000 Bennett businesses that will benefit from Tuesday's tax cut but it is unlikely to result in more jobs and growth. Ryan Graham, who runs the carpeting and flooring business, turns over $7 million, but he's unlikely to put the additional cash towards investment and recruitment. We will probably pocket more money. We don't really want to be spending. We want to grow by another mill or something, and i just like to keep it that, he said. So he's a greedy bastard who just keeps the money all for himself. Wow. 
Yeah, you have to wonder what he's expecting people to work for. Like he's expecting yeah. people to work. Oh, I, I want to hear from the person really who quit after ten work. minutes. Yeah, and, and then they're saying there's another example of someone who left after two hours. They're saying goodbye, and it's like, what are you doing to these people? What conditions are you treating them to? Yeah, like, and he's saying there's lots of people who've come and quit. Like, maybe? that imply maybe you're a bad boss. Yeah, like if there's a common straw here, maybe it's you. Yeah. Now, there are, have been a bunch of other ones. Actually, um, we've had some revelations this week in terms of uh, how horrific the um, Centrelink recovery, debt recovery officers are for the, the robo-debt. Mm-hmm. Um, and they actually have whiteboards where they specifically you know, name and shame. It's like, it's like the board in that old crime series, Homicide, and you're shamed if you haven't solved the, mm. the murders yet. Anyway, yeah, if you're not, you're not bringing... If you're not turning the screws on enough poor people and bringing enough money, and they've... Like... They had the story from people from people who were working there is like they would have meetings where they'd go and celebrate the people who had like raised the biggest debts, and also when they run up the when they put the figures into the machine, it would come out with different num- numbers on different days for the same people. Like it's just complete schmozzle. What? And the people fuck? are having are being cut off and starving due to this crap. There's a there's another story this week about a homeless woman who basically basically suddenly she had a tax refund that was coming in from when she had had some income, and. They put his dodgy robot debt. They won't tell her what it's for. They just took it. So she can't get her housing. She's homeless. Yeah. Anyway, it's a hideous mess. So the government, so they want like all of the different networks to be promoting the idea that there are doll bludgers, doll cheats, welfare cheats out there taking your hard-earned money. Don't be sympathetic. Please stop paying attention to the idea that new start is $137 a week below the poverty line. Yes. Stop paying attention to that. Stop thinking it should be raised. Let's move on to something else. Look over there. Uh, recycling. Is this Scummo doing this? He's like, oh god. We in Australia are not going to let our our um, recycling be sent overseas where it can be, you know, cause pollution. Like, but we'll still build these coal-fired plants. There's that. There's also the fact that him telling overseas then that, that, that we're, if he's declaring that it's not going to go overseas is after all the countries that we were sending it to have said we're not taking your shit anymore. It's like. You can't break up with me. I break up with you first. Ha ha ha. Oh. All right. Anyway, that's enough this week. Thank you for coming back. Um, sorry that we... Various house things. It's been a bit complicated getting it recorded this week. But uh, lovely having you back. Thank you to our Patreon subscribers. Thank you for keeping the podcast going. Thank you, Denise, for coming back. People can find for you For dropping on, in. For dropping in, as it were. Where can people find you on the tweets? Uh, they can find me at DNC on Twitter. Sweet. Thank you to everybody who has left a positive review on the iTunes. If you haven't and you would like to... Please do. Don't let me stop you doing that thing that you would like to do. Yes. I've encouraged you to do that thing you'd like to do, but because you would like to do it, not because it benefits us. I mean, it does benefit us, and I would like you to do it for that reason as well, but mainly because it's a thing that you'd like to do in this hypothetical that I've set up. Yes. A very strange, weird, hypothetical world in which you are also a panda. Recycling! We're not going to send our recycling overseas anymore. Good night! Bye! Good night! <laughs>